0: You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org.
1: Great job. Great job. Hey, let's pray. Grab a seat. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. As we uh, enter into a time of hearing from your word, we pray that you'd speak to us individually and corporately as a church. We love you. Give you thanks for what you're doing at North Valley. Thank you for... Your personal presence, and your promise to walk with us in every season, every step of our life. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Hey, guys, great being with you. My name's Ryan. I serve as a lead pastor here at the church. Uh, It's a new day. It's, you know, man, the first time I drove into the campus, there's frost on the ground. I was like, what is that? So it was chilly this morning, um, but we are so excited to be in this new teaching series called Building Relationships That Last." Uh, last week we talked about we kicked it off. It's in the book of the Ruth, in the book of the Ruth, uh, in the book of Ruth, and it is um, a, a kind of the, in the Old Testament. It's kind of the Cinderella story of the Old Testament. Um, kind of the protagonist of the storyline is this young Moabite girl named Ruth. And so last week what we learned is a little bit about uh, Ruth's mother-in-law and her father-in-law. Elimelech and Naomi, the family made a decision, bad decision, and to leave Bethlehem, go into Moab, and there they trouble hit the family, stress the family out. And uh, Naomi loses her husband, Naomi loses her two kids, her two uh, sons, and the family's in dire straits. And Ruth, this young daughter in law, says, Naomi, I want to be with you. Wherever you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And there's this incredible bond that happens between this mother, Naomi, and she decides she's going to leave Moab and go to Bethlehem. She's going to go back to God's people, uh, to the place of God's worship, uh, where she can grow and start a new beginning. So last week was all about the importance of necessary endings in your life. This morning's all about important new beginnings. So we're going to pick up in the storyline and see how uh, two single ladies, ladies, this message is just for you. Uh, So uh, how many of you are married? Raise your hand. Raise them high. Some of you. Okay, there you go. Many of you. How how many of you are single? Raise your hand. Let me see all the single people. Some of you are undecided. Raise them higher. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All you single people, see who raised their hand, and you can hang out after service. <laughs> so uh, this morning, what I want to do is I want to just encourage you as we look towards a new beginning is uh, for you singles, listen up. Uh, this, this is a, an interesting time in American history. Never has there been a single population of this size and magnitude ever in American history. There are more singles today than there are married couples. Uh, singles have a great... Uh, season ahead of them to do a great deal of good or a great deal of bad. Many of you are looking for your mate. You're wondering, am I ever going to marry the right guy or uh, marry the right gal? Uh, Some of you are asking those questions, or will I ever be remarried? And you're asking that question. This morning will be a great opportunity for you to look at character profiles for single men, single ladies, uh, to to see that, uh, new beginning couple things about a new beginning I want to we're going to see kind of the kind of the structure of the passage that I'll be covering in Ruth kind of goes through three categories of a new beginning looking for the right time looking for the right place and looking for the right person it's really important for a new beginning to happen you need to look for those things so that will kind of help guide us in our understanding of how the structure of the text is. We're in Ruth chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up there. Uh, if you don't, we have the scripture on the screen. We're in the English Standard Version, and you can um, follow along. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man, note that, of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was, what a bad-to-the-bone name, Boaz. Boaz big name there. It literally means strength, is what it means. Um, it's interesting, Solomon uh, later will, uh, at Solomon's temple, a historical site, will have etched on one of the temple pillars, Boaz, and it's a symbol, of pillar of strength. The author of Ruth introduces us to this key information. Naomi has a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Uh, I'm just going to give you kind of a preview of why that's so important. Boaz was a gentleman by the name that, that lived in Bethlehem. Um, during the time of the judges, he's a strong man, he's a godly man, and this is a dark time, troubled times in, in Bethlehem and in Israel. If you were to flip over in Judges, it says at the very end in the book of Judges that this was a time when there was no king in the land and everybody did what they wanted saw what was right in their own eyes. It was a culture of relativism. Do whatever you want. Whatever makes you feel happy, do that. Uh, We're still there in American culture in so many ways. Just do whatever makes you feel good. Uh, Boaz stands out and stands up and is different and distinct. Um, What we're going to see about uh, Boaz is that what's really important is that he is what's going to be called a kinsman redeemer. Everybody say that together, a kinsman redeemer. Uh, What he is um, being set up to do is, um, in that culture, in that time, if their trouble hit a family, like Naomi's situation where she lost her husband and her two sons, there could be a distant relative that could step in to the family's tragedy and help restore and redeem all that. So a kinsman redeemer was very uh, part of the Jewish culture and custom. It was a male relative who, according to various laws found in the Scriptures, had the privilege or the responsibility to act for a relative who was in trouble, danger, or in need of vindication. It would kind of be like this for me if I passed away, God forbid, left here, I-17, boom, get hit by a truck, be bad news. I'm gone and, and, and Leslie's left alone. Um, And so if our family tradition was, which it's not an American culture, um, my older brother would step in if he uh, was able to and reach out to my sweet wife, Leslie, and take care of her and our two kids, our three kids, sometimes I count two, sometimes I count three, Uh, our three kids, and and then help move the family along that's what we're being introduced to is that there's this gentleman by the name of Boaz uh, who's related uh, and to the family. And so there's a sense of hope here because a woman in that culture and that custom had no rights, uh, no uh, uh, authority, and was left alone As uh, the, even in the New Testament times as orphans and widows were the least among people. They were the socially powerless people. And so Boaz is introduced here right off the bat. Now, Ruth doesn't know about Boaz. Um, she's a, the daughter-in-law of Naomi, and look what we find here, verse 2. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose, whose sight I shall find favor." And she said to her, go, my daughter. And so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to who? Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So a couple of things that are happening is the first thing I find really interesting is that we're going to see that prayers are beginning to be answered. Um, That that she, she, she said to mom, hey, mom, I want to leave today. There's been famine. We've had hardship. We've had struggle. But I need to go out of the house today, and I want to work in the field so I can provide for the family. How many of you parents, have you heard your daughters say that? Hey, mom, can I wake up today and just clean the room and help contribute around the household? You'd be like, what? Uh, Ruth does that. She says, mama, I want to go out today. And she so happens... It's interesting in the Hebrew text what that means. It means like it's just like it's, make, it's, it's kind of poking at that saying, it looks like it's just a coincidence or just some lucky thing that just happened. But she actually ends up in the very field that Boaz, a distant relative of her mother-in-law, owns. Now, what we're seeing is that God's doing something at the right time, at the right place, with the right person. Prayers are being answered. Naomi used to pray for her daughter-in-law's. We saw that in chapter 1, where she's praying for her daughters. Her daughter knows that God would be gracious to them. And it just so happens that she ends up in the field where Boaz owns the field. A kinsman redeemer. We see also providence is at work. God's care for all creation according to his purpose. Providence is work. Uh, Providence is like the invisible hand of God. It's God orchestrating and doing things in his timing and his purpose, working in ordinary ways, not extraordinary ways, not miraculous ways. Miracles are like when Jesus walked on water or when Lazarus was raised from the dead. That's miraculous. And, uh, you know, but a providence is God working in ordinary, simple ways uh, to accomplish his plans and purpose. The third thing we see is that uh, Ruth is pursuing God's favor. She's pursuing God's favor. She goes out in faith to do what she can to help. She, in those first few verses, that's, that's what we find. What she's doing is she's going to go out in the fields, and it says that she's going to, um, basically what she's going to do is the idea of gleaning is that she's going to go out to the fields, and oftentimes in the in the culture of that time is that the Israelites, when they were, Uh, as farmers, they were to be different from all the other uh, people groups. And they were to leave a portion of their fields, just the edges, undone and unharvested so that poor people or sojourners or foreigners could come into the fields and pick off the food that they needed necessary for their family to survive. And so Ruth wants to go out and to do that. uh, Gleaning was something that was really cool. I mean, the idea is that the earth belonged to God and that the margins were left for those who were marginalized, that the leftovers were left for those who are left out. The uncut corners of the field would be for those that are kind of the outsiders. It was kind of God's redistribution plan for wealth, that uh, this people, the, the Israelites, were promised by God that the God would bless them and prosper them, and here we find it's harvest time. It's harvest time, and it's interesting to me too that Ruth, it goes out during this time, at the right time, at the right place, and is going to meet the right person. Because during harvest time, that's the only time that those, that these individuals would allow for foreigners and for uh, sojourners or the poor to come in to grab that harvest. So what we're going to see is that Ruth is going to be pursuing God's favor in faith. She's going to Move out and trust God for that. Something else about Providence, I just want to illustrate this for a moment. Um, God's at work to introduce two individuals, Ruth and Boaz. And she goes out and she just happens to be in the field where that Boaz owns. And Bethlehem was a, a, a town where there was, oh, there was a lot of fields. It was called the, the House of Bread, because it was fertile. so there's lots of fields, lots of orchards, lots of vineyards. And she just happens to be at the right one where God is going to providentially act in ordinary ways to do incredible things. Like, for instance, when I met my wife, let me explain how that happened. First of all, uh, the girl that introduced me to my wife, uh, who is now my wife, Leslie, was my ex-girlfriend. And she had broken up with me and then she says to me within just a few days after breaking up with me and I was heartbroken, she says, hey, I know it didn't work out between us two, but I know a girl. She's really a good one. And I'm like, what? Can you, how dare you say that to me? So I, she says, I say, okay, what's her name? She, well, her name is Leslie. It took me like a year to follow up on that, uh, that, that referral. It took me a year because I was heartbroken and I was kind of getting over it. So then I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know what? I'll just take a personal mental note. Going along in life, and I'm out rock climbing with one of my buddies. And uh, this guy was a non-Christian. He was an atheist, in fact. And he was antagonistic against Christianity in the church. But we had a relationship. And he liked to climb mountains. I liked to climb mountains. So we were friends. He was a great climber. I wanted to learn from them in that area, and so we're out one day, and we're climbing, and his girlfriend at the time worked at Red Lobster, and uh, he said, you know what, um, my, my girlfriend just made friends with this cool new Christian girl. I said, cool, what's her name? And he said, it's Leslie, and I said, huh, that's interesting, and he said, yeah, I think you guys would be perfect together, man, and I said, really, why? And he said, well, you're both Christian. So, I mean, I'm sure it'll work out. And you're like the only Christian I really know, and she's like the only Christian my girlfriend knows. So we were thinking about it the other day, Ryan, you guys would be perfect. And I'm like, well, take note, bud. Thanks very much. So I go on my way, and all of a sudden, I'm in business school, University of Arkansas. And I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting in the class, and my brother's right next to me. And by the way, he helped us start the church. My brother and I, after I became a Christian, God changed my life to love my little brother. We became like best friends and we went through life together as new Christians and did so many things together. We're in business school though together and we're in an accounting class and it's incredibly hard um, because I'm not the accounting type and I'm sitting there in class and I, the professor's going through the syllabus and telling us all the things that we're about to do and I elbow my brother and I said, we're gonna fail this class. Unless we do something. So he says, Well, what do you want to do? And I said, Well, let's talk after class. So I tell him, Dave, what we gotta do is make friends with all the really the nerds of the class. And he said, What do you mean? I said, Well, all the nerds are really smart. They're a lot smarter than you and I when it comes to accounting. And if we make friends with them, then they can help tutor us and we can pass all the tests. And he said, That's a great idea. So we had like a pizza party right after class the next day. And so we're sitting there and we have this pizza party. And then this girl says, You know, we invited all the hungry college kids to eat pizza and tutor us in, a, in accounting. And so uh, she says, Hey, why don't you guys come over to my, my house or my apartment uh, next week and we'll do the study group out of my house? I said, Well, that's fine. Yeah, they're really smart people. That'd be great. So my brother and I go there. We're sitting there at the kitchen table with a group of students. And this girl walks past uh, the hallway, and, and I said, Who, who's that? And she said, oh, that's my roommate. And I said, what's her name? And she said, oh, that's Leslie. And I, I just said to David, I said, uh, hang, hang on just a second. David, I think I'm going to take a little study break. And I said, I'd like to talk to your roommate." sure enough, I connect the dots, it's the same Leslie after a period of of several years moving forward. God has a way of doing things that are kind of like behind the scenes that you really don't understand. And it can come in simple ways that are very ordinary. When it comes to the book of Ruth and this new beginning, we see the hand of God's providence, that he's working in kind of ordinary ways to do extraordinary things. For you to move forward in your journey, whatever God's doing in your life right now, you need to understand that God cares about all of his creation. He created everything. When you walk down the street and find a $5 bill, that's God's goodness to you that day. When you get a new job promotion, a new job opportunity, that's God's goodness and his kindness on your life, giving you a new opportunity. When you see, even in the small things, that God's at work. God is not some deistic God that he just kind of cranked up the world and stands behind the scenes and with his hands crossed under his arms. Now, he's actively involved in the simple things to let you know that, that he's good and that he cares about all of his creation. So we're going to meet Boaz. We've met this young lady. She Prayers are being answered. Providence is at work. She's pursuing God's favor in faith. And by the way, she's moving out in faith, absolutely, because she's a Moabite. She stands out. She's different. She's an ethnic minority hanging out in an Israelite field during harvest time when there's a lot of other people out there. She could be taken advantage of. She could be manipulated. Um, And she is a brave young lady. But let's meet Boaz, verse 4. So, The author introduces us to Boaz right here. It says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, these are his workers. He said, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. I think it's funny. It's kind of like, I don't know. Have you ever been to Chuck E. Cheese or Showbiz and you you see the game Whack-A-Mole where they just pop up and you're like, I can envision it like this. Boaz is this godly business guy And he walks through his field and he just says, the Lord be with you. And all the reapers come out of the field and say, the Lord bless you. It's like, who does that? Uh, What we like about Boaz is I think he's the pastor. He's the pastor of his people. Men, this would be for you to understand like Boaz, Boaz's faith is not compartmentalized. Boaz's faith is integrated. Boaz's faith is not simply private, but it's public. Boaz, it creates a work environment where there's a relationship between the business owner and the employees where it's a good work environment. It's a place where people want to work and they're happy and thankful and they have a good relationship. They wish each other these kind of greetings. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Imagine for those of you that are small business owners or CEOs that that happened in your work environment. The people are praying for you. They're caring for you. Boaz is the new man of hope on the scene. Just to encourage you for a side note is for those of you in business in the marketplace for men and women, uh, here's a great resource. It's called Business for the Glory of God. Dr. Wayne Grudem is the author in it, and he talks about the incredible importance about ministry happening in the marketplace. What churches need more than anything is to exhort and encourage men and women who are in the marketplace simply to let their faith be integrated in all they do. Uh, to be a Christian is not just to let it be on Sunday, but it's, to be a Christian, to be a follower of the Lord is your whole lifestyle. It's an integrated, holistic lifestyle. Business for the glory of God addresses things like ownership, productivity, employment, commercial transactions, profit, money, inequality of possessions, competition, borrowing, lending, attitudes of the heart, effect on world poverty. You know, God, if we, if we see him as providential, that he cares for all the creation, he cares for businesses. He cares for the home. He cares for the single. He cares for the married. God cares tremendously. And Boaz gets that. He knows that he's got a platform for ministry. His faith is not compartmentalized, it's integrated. His faith is not private, it's public. He cares for the people. Boaz is going to ask about Ruth, though. Look what it says in verse 5. Then Boaz said to to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Basically, what happened was uh, Ruth walked by and he's like, Hey, um, that girl was good looking. Who was that? Who, who is that? Immediately his attention is caught. Somebody asked me, you know, what are the, how did you know Leslie was the one or what? No, no, they said, how did, how did you, what attracted you to Leslie? And I'm sitting with all these pastors and, you know, I, they always have their real spiritual answers. Well, you know, she just got a godly character. I, you know, the heart is just such a beautiful thing. And, and I said, they asked, somebody asked me that in a singles crowd and I said, well, she was good looking that's what attracted me to her at first. I have to be honest. And then, of course, I got to know her and her character of who she was. And I was like, that's more beautiful than anything. Um, Boaz is captivated and he asked, who is that? Verse six, and the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's a young Moabite woman. Who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab, and she said, "Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers." So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Uh, this is a young lady who worked really hard. She was somebody that, uh, ladies, if you want to take notes on character qualities, or guys, single guys, those of you are looking for a a good godly gal. Here's a couple of character qualities. She was industrious. Early on, she said, mom, let me go out in the field. Uh, Let me go. She's productive. She's industrious. Uh, Secondly, she's got a strong work ethic. In verse 7, she hadn't rested. She knew that she needed to gather all that she could so that she could bring food home uh, to provide for her mother-in-law. She was industrious. She was, had a strong work ethic. We're gonna see as well later that she had a great sense of humility and she had a great sense of gratitude. So let's continue to look at what happens in the storyline. Boaz says to Ruth in verse eight, Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in any other field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women and let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping And go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. A couple things that we see is that Boaz is a provider and he's a protector. He provides for her. He provides for her in, in in a in a caring way. He provides for her food. He provides for her physically and emotionally. Instead of sticking her out in the field with a bunch of sweaty uh, dudes, he puts her in in the field with a bunch of young ladies. For for you ladies that are possibly looking for a a mate, this would be a great characteristic. You're looking for somebody um, that has a spiritual strength, like a a pastor's heart. They don't have to need to be in full time ministry. They have the heart of a provider. Um, Boaz does that. He provides physically and emotionally. He's also a protector. He protects. He says, in essence, in verse 9, he says, uh, let me make sure that no one's to touch her. She could have been victimized. Uh, She could have been marginalized, uh, taken advantage of, In essence, he gathers his men and says, listen, this is how the company works. We have a policy of caring for people. I mean, this is perhaps one of the first anti-sexual harassment policies we see in Scripture. You know, and you watch the media today, like, uh, you know, CBS, NBC, you're like, where did Charlie Rose go? Where did Matt Lauer go? Like, men can so easily manipulate the power and the position that they have in their culture and they're unsafe. Boaz is totally different. He's incredibly safe. He's a safe person. Uh, men, this is a paradigm for us. And we need to be providers, we need to be protectors. And in providing, we're not simply just providing um, financially, although that is absolutely necessary in the home. Uh, but it's providing emotional support, caring support. Um, Boaz is a wealthy man. He's rich in all regards. And let me speak to the idea of the rich in the Bible for a moment. Kind of two categories, poor and rich in the world. And we all talk like that. Oh, well, they're poor. We were poor. We are poor. Or we're rich. And they're rich. Um, Four categories, just to help you set the paradigm for God's view of poor and rich, is there's the poor and the ungodly. This isn't in your notes, but I want to bring this up this morning. Uh, There's the poor and the ungodly, and then there's poor and godly. You can be poor. I've got, uh, growing up, I had friends in Arkansas that were poor and ungodly. They would make all sorts of racial uh, slurs, do all sorts of horrible things, and they were dirt poor, Um. Then there was poor people that I had friends with, and they were incredibly godly. They trusted God. They loved the Lord, but they were dirt poor. Then there's the rich and the ungodly. Rich people, you know, have a lot of money, and then you can be incredibly ungodly. You got a lot of power, a lot of influence. You can do whatever you want. The wealthier you are, the more platform and the resources you have to do more wrong, ugly, shameful things. But then there's friends that I know, and we have here in our church as well, that are rich and godly. Wealthy, have a lot, but they live a godly lifestyle. They're generous. They're providers, they're protectors, they're the pastors of their homes and care for people. Uh, This is a paradigm where Boaz is a new man of home where he is wealthy, but he manages his wealth really well. He is the pastor to his business, to his work. He cares for the people His employees, so much so that the relationship is reciprocal. And he has a a platform, and here is uh, Ruth who comes in, and he encourages all his employees, in a sense, to reshift their work responsibilities to ensure that she's going to be well taken care of. It's a great paradigm for us to see as men. We want to be the pastors of our homes. We want to be the providers and the protectors. It's for you single ladies, this is the kind of individual that you're looking for. Somebody whose faith is not just private, but it's public. Somebody's faith that's not just compartmentalized, but it's integrated. They're thoroughly believers all throughout every season and setting. Uh, For you single folks, one of the things that you can do, very easy, is just check out the profile of friends of that individual you're interested in on Facebook and see all the friends that they run around with and the things that they say. Um, for you married couples, it's important for us all uh, to see that what God does in Scripture is really cool, is He gives us, uh, he gives us in a sense, a, a design to see, to show us the right kind of model for lifestyle. These are great examples to live by. Boaz is going to be, also for us, a, a foreshadowing of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He's going to redeem and restore this relationship. In a gracious, incredible way, he is going to provide, he is going to protect, uh, in the same relationship is extended to every single believer, um, that Christ is the Redeemer, that he can restore all things, that he can make things new. Boaz is the new man of hope on the scene. He is also um, a literal historical figure, but as well is going to be a foreshadowing of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 10 is what we're going to see is the response of Ruth, this, this young, new young lady. It says in verse 10, it says that she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? I thought it was interesting that the first response that we see from Ruth after meeting this awesome man, Boaz, is she falls on her face. I'm like, boy, that would be an awkward experience. And you meet this wonderful girl and you talk. And then all of a sudden, this girl just, poof, tch, like, she gets up, her head bruised or bleeding. And then she, later she's going to have a scab. And then like, okay, that, that was a bummer. But she falls on her face. What does that mean? That means that literally it was a, it was a sign, a gesture of incredible reverence. This is where we see that she is uh, grateful Look what she says. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? She realizes that there's a great difference between the two. She was a Moabite, he was an Israelite. She was poor, he's rich. Um, they're different, incredibly different. And, and he's a wealthy individual, a godly wealthy individual at that. She's overwhelmed. She falls on her face, bowing to the ground, saying, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? What we see is that there's, in verse 11, is the response Boaz says. Boaz answered her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law. So her reputation is catching up. This is a great and godly woman. All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. There's that pastoral tone that Boaz takes with her. Uh, likening her to, uh, it was a very popular within uh, uh, Israel's history to refer to um, uh, young individuals or young believers as, in a sense, taking refuge under a mother hen, if you will. And he says that to her. What's great about Boaz is that he's tough, his name literally means strong, but he's incredibly tender as well. He's tough and he's tender. And what happens today in American culture for masculinity is that we kind of get it blurred and confused. What you have in American culture with males today is you have an overemphasis on the tough side, right? And they become domineering. Oh, I'm the head of the household. You do whatever I want. And they're domineering, incredibly tough. And then you have a big pendulum swing where they're incredibly tender, where the male is feminized and they act like a lady. And, you know, there's God's desire is that there's a balance and understanding that in his attributes, God is balanced. And there is an importance that there is the male is, yet he's tender, kind, soft hearted but he's also incredibly tough. Boaz is that. Look what he says. Verse 13, or then she says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to me, that's that tenderness, to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Incredible importance for us is to understand that God's at work behind the scenes in this relationship contextually, right? I mean, here's Ruth. She winds up in the right field, the right place, at the right time. Because here's what's incredibly important about the timing of this, is that foreigners, she's one, uh, were not allowed in the fields until the harvest time. So it just so happened to be that Ruth would be at the right place, at the right time, and she would meet the right person. What you need to know about God and his love for you and his care for you is that you're not outside of his will in that you're following Him, trusting in Him, that God's going to work everything, the Bible says, for the good, for those who know Him. That God's going to use all the little things in your life, all the things that you think, oh, that's a coincidence, oh, that's just some uh, random, uh, I got lucky. No, God's at work in your life. For a new beginning, here's what I want to encourage you to think about, is that I want to encourage you to take your next step, trusting in God's providential plan is seeing God as a good Father who wants to provide for you, even when your circumstances don't look like the greatest thing in the world, that God can still do something great and good, and you need to understand something. If you're going through a really hardship or you're really afraid about something, there's always endings in life and there's always new beginnings. When you lose someone or something that you love, It can be an ending, and it can be a bitter one. Naomi said, don't call me Naomi. That means pleasant. Call me Mara, because I'm bitter. But in faith, she said, but we need to leave, and I need to do what's right and best for me and my family, and we're going back to Bethlehem for a new beginning. For every necessary ending, there's always a brand new beginning. It may not look the way you want it to look. It might not happen on the time that you want. It might not be with the people that you want, but you need to trust that God works in seasons and that He orchestrates things according to His purposes and plans and that God, at the heart of God, you really have to believe this, is that He truly cares for you. That He truly cares about all your circumstances, all your situations, and God is involved in the little things. He's involved in all of the little things. I want to encourage you to take your next step, trusting God's providential plan. Here's the story of a guy in our church who started a relationship with Jesus Christ, was baptized, he and his wife, here at our church, and he shares his story about coming to faith in Christ. Check this out.
0: I went to ASU. I was there for four years, played football, um, partied a lot. And that's probably what was my downfall when it came to relationships because College. I wanted to have a lot of fun, so we literally partied seven days a week. Um, I was a college uh, student athlete, so I played football for four years. So I mean, you can imagine the partying that we were doing. It was a challenge for me. Um, everything was easy, I guess, in my past. As far as you know, I just did what what I wanted to do, and that was easy. The things that I wasn't supposed to do were the easy things, so uh, you know, let's try the hard things that I'm supposed to be doing. In high school, I was invited from my father to go to church, um, but and once I reached high school, it was pretty much rules that I did not abide by. A good friend of mine reached out to me, and um, I remember he told me, uh, Ryan, You've been living your life the way you wanted it, and do you like where it's, it has gotten you? He said, "Well, you only have one one uh, option left, and that's you know leaving it to God. Let Him go with it. Pray and if you need help praying. Let him know." Uh, eventually, uh, Terry and I got married, and a little after that, that's when you know, she started going to church with me. You know, made a decision coming to North Valley, and, you know, that's where we got baptized together, and we're continuing to grow within our faith together. You know, I'm not perfect, but, you know, Christ is working within me.
1: Let's celebrate that. Yeah. The Bible says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, and for you, you need to hear this, that God's at work in your life. Even when you don't feel like He is, He works invisibly behind the scenes. You want a miracle so many times, and we all do. But God can work through the ordinary just as much or even more so than the extraordinary. And what we have promised to us is a God who cares tremendously about all the details in your life and is at work for the good and for your good and for His glory. Amen? let me pray heavenly father thank you for today and just the time in your word where we see your providential hand at work behind the scenes in the simple and the ordinary ways that you work and lord today i pray for um, those that are facing some challenging endings in life maybe it's a relationship that they have had to say goodbye to might you in your mercy and your grace might you comfort them and strengthen them minister to them And help them hold on to hope. You'll never leave them. You'll never forsake them. And you have a plan and a purpose for their life. God, for those that have the necessary ending for uh, some situation where it feels tragic and it's overwhelming, might you be the voice in the midst of that storm that calms that and speak a word of peace to them, Lord. Through this word, through a circumstance, through a friend, and give comfort and hope in this time. God and for the singles that are here that are looking for their mate and asking God where are you where is the right person might they be patient in the process faithful in the journey and look to you for their help their comfort and Lord and not compromise and wait on the right time the right person the right place we pray God, your blessing over all the married couples in this room, that you might strengthen their relationship together, that, they, that the men would become the pastors and the providers and the protectors that they need to become, Lord. And for the ladies, that they would see the model of Ruth as a generous woman, an industrious woman, a loving woman, a faith-filled woman, Lord, and seek to emulate that. And for those that do not have a relationship with, with Christ and want one maybe today as we pray maybe you prayed this heavenly father I come before you right now and I want to start a relationship with you I acknowledge that I'm not perfect I acknowledge I sin and I believe in Jesus Christ to be the forgiver of my sin he is the remedy to my problems I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord I confess him as my personal Lord and Savior today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's celebrate what God's doing in North Valley. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today, the Bible says that you've been born again and that you're a part of a new family. And so you can enter in and join us in communion. Uh, that's for God's people and God's purposes. And uh, to remind us of his covenant love, his everlasting relationship upon your life. Um, and as well, for those of you guys that are brand new believers, new believers, anybody over the last year or so that have placed their faith in Christ, I'm going to be starting a new believer's breakfast um, to help. We've had a lot of people come to faith in Christ in the last few months, and I'm going to offer up some time in my schedule for you men uh, to join me for a new believer's breakfast. And so. I'll keep you posted on that, but let let us know on that little Connect card. Hey, I'm a new believer. I pray to receive Christ, and I want to get connected. And for you ladies that might have started that journey, too, we have some great discipleship opportunities for you as well, too. Let me invite Pastor Jonathan up to lead us in a time of communion.
0: Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.